Amen. It's uh, great to, to lift up our voices in prayer for, for those who, who need it so badly. It is uh, interesting as uh, I think about this Christmas season and I just I say things, you know, Christmas, we're celebrating Jesus coming into the world, and, you know, we just know what that means. But we do have such a wealth of knowledge here um, in America and many other countries as well, but we're very blessed to have that, that wealth of knowledge. And so hopefully today, as we um, open up God's Word, um, we, can, we can look into that a little bit more, you know, to make sure that we're not taking it for granted, um, all this knowledge God has given us. If you want to turn in your Bibles, we'll be uh, mainly looking in Luke chapter 1. We'll, we'll go to Luke chapter 2 and then Matthew 1 at some point. But uh, we'll start out in Luke chapter 1 if you want to go there. And so far... In our Christmas series, we've looked at some really awesome gifts that God has given us. That's our, our series is Unwrapping Christmas Gifts. We're seeing the ways God has gifted us um, directly related to Christmas. And so far, we've, we've looked at God's awesome gift of promise. That, that mankind sinned, we rebelled against God, we fell from Him, but God made a promise. I will send a Savior. And then the, the week after that, we looked at God's gift of provision. That was that he provided a way for that Savior to enter this world through, through thousands of years, through the lineage of, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, you go on through David, and, and just all these things, and God provided a way, even though there was a great deal of sin and oppression against um, the nation of Israel and all these things. But then we saw that not only that, but God had actually prophesied the way that it was going to take place. God wasn't responding to surprises, but God knew exactly the way he was going to bring the Savior into this world. And the reason that we, we spent those two weeks looking at the provision of God and in these prophecies, the, the fact that God told us beforehand, is because, as we've said, we naturally live in light of promises. Uh, we, we, we see things, we believe that things are a certain way, we've, we've been promised that things will go a certain way, and so we believe that and we live in light of it. And we won't go too far into that again, but we also know that we only live in light of promises, we only act on promises that we actually believe. And that's why we took those two weeks to look at the provision of God, that He made a promise at the very beginning. He made a promise, and He provided the way for it to be fulfilled, and not only that, he prophesied exactly the way it was going to take place. And then we see all through history it, it happening. It would be born of a virgin in Bethlehem. All, all these different things, and it happens exactly the way God said. And so we know that we can trust God. We can, we can bank on him every single time. We can take risks. We can live even uncomfortable knowing that God has our back. And that, that was that Christmas gift that God's given us to just help us to trust him. And so this week, we're going to look at another Christmas gift. Based on seeing that we can trust God, we, we've sort of looked at the big picture. You know, the way God treated humanity. The way God treated the nation of Israel and these things, these prophecies. But today, what I want to talk about is the gift of preparation. The gift of preparation. And this is more individual. You might say, well, what, what was God preparing? Well, God was preparing people for the introduction of Jesus, of God the Son, into this world. See, God doesn't just work with us as a whole. I see humanity, you know, like I might look at a, a bunch of ants going around a, um, an anthill. Oh, there's, there's a bunch of ants. No, God looks at each and every one of us individually, and he prepares us individually. And, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing that God bothers to prepare us, and, and as we'll look at today, prepare individual people for the coming of the Messiah God could do all of this by himself. <laughs> you look at the virgin birth. Um, Mary didn't actually have to do anything to, to conceive a child. God did that all on his own. God is fully capable of, of carrying out salvation all on his own, yet God chose to use people as, as means. It's a blessing to be used by God to bring this salvation into the world. And the, the thing is, though, we aren't robots, you know? God doesn't just push a button on us and we do a certain thing. No, God, we, are, we are intricately made. God gives us minds and, and a heart to think through things and processes. So God has to, has to prepare us and mold us and shape us to be a part of his plan. 
And so that's what we'll be looking at today, this gift of preparation, how God prepared the, these uh, people for the very first Christmas story, the introduction of Jesus. Let's go ahead and take a moment to pray and ask God to bless this time. Father God, we are going to look at your word today in the way you have interacted with people. And God, help us not just to see Zechariah and Mary and Joseph. God, help us to see ourselves. God, help us to see the ways that you prepare us for what you would have us do. Help us to see the ways you, you grow us and shape us so that we can be a part of your plan, God. God, we thank you that you, you deal with us on a personal level. God, let us listen to your voice. Let us obey you. Let us be shaped. I pray all this, trusting you as we, we look into your word. In your son's name, amen. All right. The first part of this, this gift of preparation we're going to look at is, again, we're going to look at a snapshot of how God prepares people at this first Christmas story. And the first thing he was doing is, number one in your notes, God was preparing to lead. He's preparing a certain person to lead, to lead. And we're going to look at it in, in Luke chapter 1, <clears throat> but I'll give you a, a bit of an overview. Basically, we have this guy, Zechariah. Okay, and you may recognize his name, Zechariah and, and Elizabeth. They are the parents. That, he is the father of John the Baptist. He's the father of John the Baptist. But at this point in the story, John the Baptist has not come on the scene. And Zechariah was a faithful man. He really was a faithful man, but he wasn't quite ready yet to lead in the way God wanted. God wanted him to lead in some amazing ways, but he wasn't quite ready. So let's look at how God prepares him to lead. <clears throat> First, we'll look at the problem. Luke chapter uh, 1, and we'll look at verses 5 through 7 real quick. 5 through 7. <clears throat> it says there, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So what we see here is, is you have this, this man, Zechariah. He's, he's a priest. He's a part of uh, the, the Levites, so he'd, he'd have been priestly. And it, it says that he and his wife were walking blamelessly before God. They were, they were following all of his commandments. They were righteous. That doesn't mean they didn't sin. It just means that they were trusting in God, trusting that he would send the Messiah. They were trusting in him uh, with this faith. <clears throat> but we see there in verse 7, they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and because both were advanced in years. Now, I, I, I want to be careful here. This isn't something that I've had to deal with. I, I have a child. When, when Hallie and I um, decided, okay, this is, this is when we'll have children, you know, we got married and we said, we'll, we'll give it about, you know, two years. And we planned, and by God's grace, the, the plans were fulfilled. We, we tried for a child, and, and little Nora came into this world about six months ago. But I have several friends, and probably um, some of you in here, who they, they got married, they made plans, they were excited, but then nothing ever happened. They, they never had the children they so desperately hoped for. And I, I can't pretend to feel that pain, but I know that it's a struggle. Hallie and I have had our own types of pain. Um, I'm going to say this because I think people sometimes avoid the issue, and I don't understand why, but we, we actually um, conceived a child before Nora came into this world, and, and um, we, we lost it. We lost that child um, within the first, um, like, seven weeks, I guess. And so that was our struggle. So I know what that feels like, but I don't know what it feels like to try and try and pray and pray, but never have the child. And that's what was going on with Zechariah um, and, and Elizabeth. And I want to point this out, too. This would have even been a bigger deal for them in Old Testament times. See, in, in the Old Testament, there are blessings uh, that God gives for righteous people, and one of those blessings was to have offspring, was to have children. It was considered a blessing. So that means if you don't have children, well, I must be cursed. I, I must have done something wrong, uh, you know, and that's the way the world would look at people who were childless in, in those days. That they must have done some sin against God, and they must be cursed, so they don't have the blessing of children. 
So for anyone, this would be difficult to, to try and want children, but never be able to have any, but especially in those Old Testament times. So there's, there's the problem. Well, let's get, look at a little more of the story, how God prepares Zechariah to lead. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 8 through 18. So we're starting in verse 8. Now while he, Zechariah, was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. I'm going to pause there for a second. Zechariah was chosen by lot. So his, his uh, little group would have rotated and sometimes been, have been working at the temple. He, he wouldn't have probably even lived close to the temple. Um, and, and so he'd have traveled there, been, been serving there, and a lot was cast, so kind of like dice sort of thing. Um, a, a lot was cast, and his name was chosen as the one who was to go into the temple and burn incense. This is a, a really big deal, actually. Uh, the incense was a, a symbol for prayer. The, the, this incense was to go up as a sweet-smelling aroma to God, just like our prayers go up to him with this sweet-smelling aroma. But this would have been a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Zechariah. This would have been a once-in-a-lifetime. Okay, it's my tribe working, or not my tribe, my, my clan working the, um, the temple right now. And then, oh my, my name was chosen. Now, I've heard some numbers. I hate to put numbers out there because we don't really know. But they, they guessed that there were some like 25,000 people that would have been in his uh, group. So this would have been a once-in-a-lifetime thing. It wasn't choosing between three guys and, you know, you draw the short straw and you got to go in. This would have been a great honor for him to get to go into the temple and, and give this instance. So he'd have probably been nervous, you know, going in there, a little bit excited. All right, we pick up in verse 10. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So I'll just pause there again. He's going in to offer these prayers for Israel and offer for himself and other people who are also awaiting a Savior, also awaiting a deliverer for, for Israel. They come and pray at the same time. So this incense is going up and prayers are truly going up to God. It says there, um, and there, verse 11, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. There appeared to him an angel on the right side of this altar of incense. I don't want to let this point pass over you. This is kind of like the virgin birth. Okay, a virgin had a baby. Guys, that's a big deal. Now, let's listen to this. He goes into the temple, and he's just, you know, kind of doing his thing, preparing, and all of a sudden, there is an angel standing next to the altar of incense. There's an angel. And we read the Bible, right? We read it, and we see, okay— Crazy things happen all the time. The Red Sea was split. There were plagues. You know, uh, there's all these miracles happening all the time. No, that is not how things were going in Israel at this time. At this time, there had been no prophecy. There had been no word of the Lord for over 400 years. You look at the book of Malachi was written 400 years before this happened, and it was silence. Israel was in some ways being punished for their, their rebellion, and God was bringing them back uh, to Israel and stuff, but they were still rebelling, and God says, okay, I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to keep my promises to bring you a Savior, but I'm not talking. And so here we come, fast forward 400 years from Malachi's day, and we have an angel standing next to the altar of incense. All right, verse 12. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him, God, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So this angel this, this comes, this, finally this word of the Lord after 400 years, and he says this prayer that you've had, this longing that you've had to have a child, to have a son, not only are you going to have a son, not only are you going you're to have this child, but he's actually going to be the next prophet. 
He's going to be one sent from God, filled with the Holy Spirit, even in his mother's womb. And he's going to lead the people back to God. He's going to make them prepared. We see there in that, that final verse, verse 17, a people prepared. That's amazing. <laughs> Zechariah's been praying, but I assure you he wasn't praying for that. God, make my child be the prophet that leads the Messiah in. I doubt that even crossed his mind. Yet God is gifting a man who, who would be, you know, sorrowful over not having a child, gifting him not only the son, but one who would lead in the Messiah. But let's look at Zechariah's response. Zechariah's response, verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. How shall I know this? You know what he's asking for there? He's asking for a sign. How do I know that what you're saying is true? How do I know that this is really going to happen? You see, my, my wife is barren, and, and we're both advanced in years, you know, and, and like we can't have kids, so how can I know that what you're saying is true? Now, I want to pause here for a second. We said at the very beginning here, Zechariah was a righteous man, right? Yes, he had some sin, but he was a righteous man. He was following God. He'd been praying. He'd been doing all these things. He's serving as a priest. But what we see here is an area where he was lacking faith. He and Elizabeth, I mean, I don't know how long they'd been married or anything, but they'd probably been praying for a child for many, many, many years. They probably got their hopes up several times, and uh, no, nothing. He had lost his faith in this area. Maybe, maybe God can't do it. Maybe God can't give me and Elizabeth a child. You know, maybe God's not even good. Maybe he's not even good enough to give me this child. That would be what Zechariah is thinking here, and we see that there. How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. By the way, I love how he says that. I'm an old man, and my wife is, how shall we say, advanced in years, right? He's a tactful man. He's smart. <laughs> Anyways, he, he's, he's lacking this faith. He, he doesn't, he, he's got faith, but he's missing it in this one area. Let's look at how uh, the, the angel responds to him. Uh, this is verse 19 through 25. So verse 19 says, And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. <laughs> I love that. I, la I think I laugh every time I read that. Zechariah, you want a sign? I am an angel from God standing in front of you. What do you want me to do, a magic trick in front of you? I'm a stinking angel. I, I don't get it. I feel like that's what Gabriel's saying. Look, man, I stand in the presence of God. I worship him all day. I get to, to, to glorify him. If, if you're going to want me to do magic tricks for you, I don't have time for this. I am the sign, right? He says there, And I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, here we go, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. There it is, that, that lack of faith. You did not believe my words. I was an angel and you wanted a sign. And the people were waiting for Ze Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and, and, remain, sorry, and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. I think this is uh, an interesting discipline of God. You see, Gabriel first rebuke him. Are you serious? You don't believe me? I was sent by God. But then, then you see this. He's kept silent. He's kept silent. He has seen the first prophecy, the first word of God in over 400 years, and he can't tell anyone about it. <laughs> I think that's an interesting uh, discipline. I want to, God's basically saying, I want to use you, but you know, you don't, you don't believe me? You, you're withholding this area from me? I'm not going to use you yet. We got some more preparation to do. I, I, I was going to go ahead and let you, you know, tell people about this, but no. 
you're not going to talk. That's, that's what he does. He, he, he disciplines them. Now, I do want to say this isn't punishment, right? For a faithful person, God disciplines us. Hebrews chapter, oh man, I shouldn't have said chapter. Uh, anyone, what Hebrews is that? Discipline, 12? I don't know. I think it's 12, yeah. Hebrews 12, we'll say it's that, that. Don't quote me on it. It's recorded, but oh well. Anyway, um, Hebrews 12, God says he disciplines those who he loves. So that means when we're, when we're out of line, when we're not trusting him in an area, God, God sets us straight. Yeah, it may hurt, but it's for good. And that's what's going on here with Zechariah. God's not punishing this faithful man. He's not punishing this saint. He's, he's disciplining him to help him grow. And that's what we see happen. Luke, you're going to have to skip some verses to uh, verse 57. Verse 57, Luke chapter 1, verse 57. We're going to go down through 80. It says, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. So there again, we see God's faithfulness. He said he's going to do something, and he does it. Verse 58, And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, to Elizabeth, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No. He shall be called John. You remember the angel Gabriel had said, His name shall be John. Verse 61. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. I, I, I love this. We see this guy who's like, Show me how this is going to be real. He said that to a, a, an angel, not Zechariah's finest moment. But we see when the child is given, he says, you know what? We're walking in obedience to God. I don't know why his name is supposed to be John. John is not a family name, which is something that they did then. They'd have named him a family name. Even here, they wanted to name him Zechariah after his father. And he says, no, God told me to name him John. I don't know why. We're going to name him John. We see Zechariah have this, this obedience now. Uh, and then we go on in there. It says, and they all wondered. Verse 64. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. He finally is able to speak, and guess what he does? He blesses God. The thing he wasn't able to do the last nine months or so, he wasn't able to do. He's finally able to speak. He was prepared, and now he can speak. Verse 65, And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. They, they know something's up with this. They know something crazy's going on here. And, and here we go, verse 67. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, I gotta pause there one more time. This is the same guy who, again, didn't trust God on, on this child issue. But I want you to notice, in this prophecy is the tense. It's actually, he says these things in past tense as though they'd already happened. Let's look at this. He's talking about the salvation of God, the promises of God, yet he says them in the past tense because that's how much he believes they're going to happen. Verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. That, should we, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Put your finger there. So keep your, your spot, verse 75, end of verse 75. He's not talking about his own son who was just born. He says, God has sent, he's past tense, sent a horn of salvation. He's redeemed his people. But then he says there, in the house of his servant David. He and Elizabeth, neither of them are from the house of David. They, it says they were, they're from the tribes of, of Levi. They were a priestly uh, family. They wouldn't have been from the house of David. So he is talking about um, someone who's from the tribe of Judah, right? And we know Mary and uh, Joseph, the tribe of Judah. So he is talking about Jesus in that section. And he's saying it in past tense. His faith is strengthened. Let's start again in verse 76. 
he's now talking about his child, and you, child, he's shifted gears, talking about uh, John, John the Baptist, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance in Israel. We've seen this, this shift in Zechariah. No longer is he just a mostly faithful guy. This guy talks about the salvation of God, the appearance of Jesus, as though it were a past event, because that's how sure it is. You know what he starts doing? He starts talking to his son, and you, child, will be a prophet of the Most High. You'll go before the Lord to prepare his ways. He is now passing on. He is leading his son to serve God. This, this is amazing. Now, if you look at the, uh, the ministry of John the Baptist later, this guy's crazy. <laughs> he comes out of the forest eating uh, locusts and honey, and he just says it the way it is. You, uh, repent, you know, uh, he's, he's telling them, you guys all need to repent of your sins and be baptized. The kingdom of, of God is coming. He, he just says the way it is. Where did he get that type of fearless faith? Well, he'd been raised by this man, Zechariah, who had seen the angel of the Lord, who had been rebuked and even disciplined to trust God unshakingly, unwaveringly. I believe God was preparing Zechariah to lead not only the people of Israel. They all heard about this prophecy. They all stored up and knew what was going on. Something's up with this child. Something's going on here. He's leading the people of Israel. But not only that, he's leading his son who's going to prepare the way for the Lord. God has prepared Zechariah for this. He trusts God more than he ever has before. He obeys God on that difficult matter of naming his son John rather than keeping it a family name. He ministers before the people, and he leads his son in faithfulness. That's what we see God do, the way he prepares uh, Zechariah. Now maybe some of you find yourself like Zechariah today. You know, you've trusted in God for your salvation. Yes, God can save me. Yes, he's paid for my sins. I get to go to heaven. But I don't really trust him in this area. I'll trust him in a lot of areas, right? I'll trust him. But this area, I'm not going to trust him. In my relationships, nope, stay out of my relationships, God. I got these. My money, you better not. That's my wallet, God. Don't you touch it. You're going to spend it, want me to spend it in ways that I don't want to, God. Maybe my time. No, God, you don't understand. I, I, I need to do these things with my time. I, I, I can't be doing what you want me to do. I don't know what it is <laughs> that you might be withholding from God, this area of faithlessness, even though you've trusted in God for salvation. But I want to tell you today, like, like God, or like Gabriel tells Zechariah, I'm speaking to you. I am sent from God speaking to you. You better trust me. I don't want you to have to be disciplined the same way Zechariah is. Trust him. I even want to point out, you might not think God is good. Man, look at the way he treated Zechariah. Not only does he give him the child that, that he's so been longing for, he gives him a prophet for the God that he loves so much. And that's even after his faithlessness. That, that, that's a good God. Hear the word of the Lord today. Now, I, I was thinking about this. Um, I don't know how far to go into these things. They, they seem interesting to me at the time. But we're worried. Is God trustworthy, right? Ze Zechariah, how do I know this will happen? Who gave Zechariah this sense of, of trustworthiness, of, of, you know, liking trustworthy things, right? Who gave him that sense? Well, God. God made, made him like uh, truth rather than lies. God gave him that sense, and yet he wasn't trusting God. That's, that's an interesting thing. He, he's, I don't know if I trust you, God, but even that very idea of trust, of truth and lies, is a gift from God. Now, he may have been questioning God's goodness. Oh, God, we've, we've asked for many years, and you've never uh, given us a child, so maybe you're not even good. Where did Zechariah get a sense of right and wrong, good and bad, fair and unfair? <laughs> he got it from God, the standard of good, just, and fair. 
There's no reason to ever think that God is not truthful because he is that standard of truth. There's no reason to think that God is not good because he is what even gives us a conception of good. End of side note. But Zechariah is prepared by God to lead. And God can prepare you in these same ways. Let's look at the next individuals God deals with. Number two in your notes, God is preparing to serve. Preparing to serve. So God is going to prepare two people, two individuals, and we'll see God deal with them um, separately even, and, and their names are Mary and Joseph, and we would know them, you know, as the, the mother of Jesus and, and uh, Jesus' adopted father, Joseph. And what we're going to see is that God wants them to serve almost in a behind-the-scenes way by, by raising the Messiah, but they need to be prepared for this. We're going to look in Luke uh, chapter 1, verses 26 through 55. We'll, we'll break it apart, obviously, but there was, there was this especially important service God wanted from Mary, you know, carrying Jesus, but she wasn't quite ready for the task. So let's look at how God prepares her. Luke 1, 26 through 33, we'll read. 26 through 33. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. So that's the same angel that had visited Zechariah. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the, house, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So Gabriel comes to her and appears to her there in Nazareth and says, Hey, you're going to have a child. You're going to conceive and bear this child. He will be over. He will... He'll, and by the way, when they talk about this, that he will, you know, sit on the throne of David, they knew what, what, they, what he was talking about, that, that these are the messianic prophecies, like we read this morning um, out of Isaiah, that, that he, Jesus, the Messiah, was to sit on the throne of David and rule. And here's what Mary says to the angel. And Mary said, how will this be since I'm a virgin? She doesn't argue with him. She doesn't say, hey, I'm a little girl. I'm a little teenage girl. Um, I, I don't know that I'm going to raise someone up who's going to sit on the throne of David and, and of whose rule there will be no end. She doesn't argue with him. She, she, she moves on with it. She doesn't even say, no, I, I don't want that, that responsibility. She asks an innocent question. How will this be since I'm a virgin? Now, what I do see here, though, is she's kind of focused on herself a little bit. She's saying, how, how am I going to do this? How am I going to birth a child? I've never been with a man. I can't just have a child. I'm incapable of doing this. I mean, I, I think she still believes, but she's lacking this confidence. How am I able to do what God wants me to do? So Luke 1.35, he says, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshower, uh, overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. I love this. She, she believes God. She, she says, I don't know how I'm going to do this. How is this going to be? And he tells her, well, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. That's how it's going to happen. And because she believes, I love what he does here. You see, he says, and behold, that's 36, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. This is the sixth month. And she, she was called barren, it says there. This is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. You know what he just did there, the angel Gabriel? I think he gave her a sign. This is how you can know what I'm saying is true, and you can know it like you know it like you know it. 
she believed God. She believed Gabriel here who was sent by God, and he gives her a sign. <laughs> she didn't even ask for a sign. I just love that. I think God has a sense of humor. Zechariah, how will this be? How can, how can I know that this is true? And, and Gabriel's like, dude, you just got to believe me. She doesn't even ask, and God gives her a sign. <laughs> that's the grace of God. I, I just think that's great the way God does that. Um, but we see because of her faith, uh, he, he's moving forward. I, I tell you these things. There will be a child born. It will be the Son of God, born of the Holy Spirit. This is awesome. Nothing will be impossible with God. You'll have this child. Luke one thirty eight. here's Mary's response. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, did God need permission from her, you know, to do these things? No. But look at the difference between the way God had to deal with Mary, the, the believing one, the faithful one, in the way he dealt with Zechariah. Zechariah, your mouth is going to be closed, and it's just going to happen, okay? You, you'll be prepared to lead later, but I'm, I, I don't care what you believe. Yeah, that's kind of the way he worked with, with her. He gives her this opportunity to say, yes, let it be to me the way that you've said it. That's how this faith was, but God has given her this confidence. God has prepared her with confidence. Now, why does Mary need confidence from God? Why does she need to be prepared um, for this birth? She's having a baby uh, out of wedlock. Now, I don't know what you know about the Jewish culture. Sometimes I wish ours were more like it. But this was not a good thing for uh, a teenage girl to be having a child out of wedlock. There, there were laws against this kind of thing, um, literally laws um, that, that were against these things. And so she needed to know that everything was going to be okay. If she was going to still have joy in the Lord, trust the Lord, she needed to know, okay, I'm going to have this child, but everything's going to be okay. You know how uh, one of the ways I think she did that, or Gabriel did that for her? He says there, uh, he said in verse 28, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Um, let's see here. You have found favor with God, it says there at the end of verse 30. These are confidence-inspiring words right? Greetings, O favored one. God is not going to let you down if you are his favored one. You have found favor with God. He's not going to let you down. You can trust him. You can, you can just believe that it's going to be okay. I was talking with someone, uh, I don't know if they're here this morning, um, a few weeks ago, just about troubles in their lives and, and some physical issues, and one of the things that meant such a big, uh, made such a big impact in his life was his father saying to him, it'll be okay. You can trust God. And that just stuck with him. It will be okay. And that's what I think God's doing with Mary here. He's giving her that confidence she needs, not in herself, but in the God that she serves. He was preparing her. Now the next one that's being prepared to serve is Joseph. This is the adoptive father of Jesus. He needed courage. And we're actually going to flip to uh, Matthew for this one. If you want to go there, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Look at Joseph and how God deals with him, prepares him. So Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. It says there, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, re resolved to divorce her quietly. So, you have Joseph and Mary. They are betrothed. That means they are engaged. And let me tell you uh, a couple, just real quick, things that were different. Back then, engagement was a, a legal affair. It was a, a legal process. When they got engaged, it was the families, the, the heads of the families meeting together, making an agreement. This is what it will look like when they get married. I will give you my daughter. You know, I, we will receive um, your, your son. You know, we'll do these things, and it's legally binding. A c contract is made. And so that's why he has to divorce her when he finds out that she's pregnant. <clears throat> now, you think about this. People would think one of two things when they see that Mary is pregnant. They know that she's betrothed uh, to Joseph. And so one thing they would think probably is, 
well, they must have slept together before they got married. That's, that's how she got pregnant, even though they're not married yet completely. Or the, uh, the other option they would have is, well, they're, they're, she's betrothed to Joseph, but maybe she slept with some other guy. Maybe that's how she got pregnant. Maybe that's why, you know, Joseph doesn't look super happy. And those would have been the logical conclusions. And so Joseph knew, okay, well, number one didn't happen. I didn't sleep with her, so someone must have, you know. So he wasn't going to, to marry her. It says he'll divorce her quietly. And this would have been kind of a, a nice thing of Joseph to do, to divorce her quietly rather than to bring her before the people and say, hey, I didn't sleep with her yet. She's pregnant. Here we go. Let's go ahead and do this legal process. By the way, the legal process at worst was stoning to death for this type of adultery. So it, it would have been a big deal. But at, at very least, you know, she would have been ostracized from her community. And you know what that would have done? That would have saved Joseph's face, Right? It, it has shown, okay, he must not have been the one to sleep with her. And, you know, and so he just kind of puts her uh, off to the side, and he keeps his, his reputation, his credibility, but he didn't. He said, I'll divorce her quietly. I'll let people think what they want to think, but I'm not ready for this. I honestly believe that Mary probably told him uh, about what Gabriel, uh, you know, said to her. Like, hey, I, I know that we haven't slept together. I haven't slept with anyone else, but an angel told me that I was going to get pregnant without a guy. I, I think she told him that. <laughs> I think she did, but I kind of think he didn't believe her. I don't know. There, there's some conjecture here. I think he didn't believe her, but let me ask, would you? <laughs> if, if, if someone's like, yeah, I'm pregnant, an angel, uh, <laughs> you know, told me I'm just going to be pregnant, just magic. I, I wouldn't believe her either, so I really don't blame Joseph much here. He's like, I don't know what happened, but I'm going to divorce her quietly. I'm going to uh, make sure she doesn't get in trouble, and uh, even if it makes me not save face. But I'm going to drop it. I'm going to bail on this whole marriage thing. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been afraid of what might happen in your life? Have you been thinking about bailing on doing what God has called you to do? You've been doing it for a while, and things aren't going the way you'd like. You might just bail on it. Or maybe God has called you to do something new, and you're going to bail on it before you even get started, because it sounds difficult. Well, here we see Joseph afraid of what will happen if he marries, uh, marries Mary. Um, and so he's afraid he's going to divorce her. But we see in Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, so we're going to verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Joseph, do not fear. <laughs> I feel like he's saying, what she told you about this whole uh, magical pregnancy, Holy Spirit pregnancy, it's true. She, she really is bearing a child conceived in her from the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, don't, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. I know you got fears. I know what people are going to think, but don't be afraid. Take courage. That's what he's doing. God is giving him this courage to continue in God's plan. Let's see how he responds. Verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, where he'd had that, that uh, vision, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. We'll stop there. He took his wife. He listened. He obeyed. God prepared him to not have this fear. He gave him this, this courage that he needed. And now he gets to be the adopted father of the Savior of the world. I want to say this. Adoption is awesome. <laughs> I, I think it's great. Hallie and I are talking about it, praying about it. But one thing I sometimes hear is, is sometimes people will shame adopted children as though it's a bad thing. Let me just say this once and for all. My Savior Jesus was adopted. <laughs> he's, he's one that I would not be ashamed to be like. This is, this is a good thing. That, that he was um, adopted. Now, Jesus did have a father. His name was God the Father. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit, but his earthly father is Joseph here. He adopts him with all the legally uh, binding things there, and he gets the amazing blessing of, of raising the Jesus, the Son of God. Now, speaking of Jesus, we've, we've now seen God prepare Zechariah, prepare Mary, prepare Joseph. 
He's actually the next one that we're going to see prepared is Jesus. This is when it's going to get a little different. Number three, preparing to save. Preparing to save in your notes. Now, we're going to talk about, about Jesus, about the Son of God. And so there was a problem. It's kind of a weird thing to say God had a problem, but let me explain. In a nutshell, Jesus, God the Son, was too great, too high, too holy, too righteous to be our Savior without something happening. Because we've seen in uh, past places that there had to be a sacrifice for sins. There had to be a shedding of blood for sins. There had to be punishment for sins. The wages of sin was death. There had to be death for sins. But Jesus was too awesome, too high, too holy, too righteous to receive any of those things. God could not die. And so, in order to accomplish this salvation that had been promised, he is preparing to step into humanity. He's preparing to save by stepping into humanity. Let me read uh, Luke. If you can flip back to Luke. I don't know if you kept your finger there. Sorry. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. It says there, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. That, that was the story of Jesus, the Son of God, being born into this world, taking on flesh he, that, that has been prepared for him. Now, this is incredible, that God is taking on flesh. This is the, one of the great scandals of Christianity, the greatest being that the God who took on flesh then dies. But anyways, the great scandal, let's think about this. Why is this so crazy that God the Son would take on flesh? I'm going to just read this for you real quick. Psalm 139, 13. The psalmist says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. So Jesus was, was knit together in his mother, you know, Mary's womb. That's, that's interesting because he is God. <laughs> so God is knitting God together in his mother's womb. This is some crazy stuff that God is making himself. Now, here's another thing. Genesis 1.26 Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. <laughs> this, this stuff is just weird to me. I, I was running the other day, and, and this just hit me. Mankind is made in the image and likeness of God, and then God made himself in the image of, of mankind. <laughs> it's an interesting concept there, that God would lower himself um, so you guys know the Volkswagen Beetle, right? They, they, I don't know if, I'm sure they still make them and stuff, but you see them driving around, and one thing I've seen has been kind of funny about the Volkswagen Beetle is I've seen them have on the back of it a big crank thing. You know what I'm talking about? Like, so you have a little toy, and you want it to go on its own, you crank it, and then it takes off. I've seen the full-size Volkswagen Beetles drive around with a fake crank on the back. I think that that's strangely enough, an image of what God did here. So you have the Volkswagen Beetle, right? Then you make a toy Volkswagen Beetle with a crank on the back of it, and then you have the real Volkswagen Beetle putting the crank on, taking on the image of the toy. <laughs> it, this is, this is the, the, the greatest example of humility the world will ever know, that, that God would take on flesh. The people who were supposed to image forth himself, he would take on their likeness. Not only did God take on their likeness, he really did take on human flesh, human nature. He took on humanity while remaining fully God. Now, what is that humanity going to look like for God? What's it, or for Jesus? What's it going to look like for him? You know, is he going to come into this world with a parade? He's going to be really rich, maybe live in a palace. He'll have, you know, other kings bowing to him and stuff, ride around in the nicest chariots. Said there in verse 7, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, that's a feeding trough, in a barn for animals because there was no place for them 
in the end. Jesus' first cries happened in a feeding trough for animals. This just sets the stage for what the rest of his life is going to be like. And again, he was the one who prepared his entrance. He's the one who chose what family he would be born into, what time of year, what city, and that there would even be no room room for him in, in, in any inn, and that he'd have to be born there. God was setting this up for himself to take on this humility. Was he, you know, born into a rich family? You know, maybe, you know, all the inns were full, and they just had to do this. Uh, Luke 2, if you uh, want to look at Luke 2, 22 through 24, it says, And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And verse 24, And to offer a sacrifice according to what it said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Okay, that was a lot. This sacrifice was actually supposed to be a lamb, okay? uh, This is what they were supposed to do, is when a firstborn child uh, was born, they were supposed to offer him to the Lord, and rather than give him literally to the Lord to to work the temple, they were to give a lamb as a sacrifice in his place, and they could keep their child. But there was a provision in the law for poor people. There was a provision in the law for poor people that they could either give a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And it says that that's exactly what Mary and Joseph did. They had to use this provision in the law that said, we can't quite afford a lamb, so we're going to do two little cheap birds. That's what they had to do because they were poor. And that is where Jesus chose to come into this world, where the Son of God chose to take up residence and be raised. So rather than than being headed into this world as a celebrity and as as someone exalted, he's headed into humility. The king of kings was taking on poverty as his lifestyle. The Lord of lords is, is putting himself low. Now why would he do that? Why would he do that? I think there are several reasons. I think, number one, I mean, he was preparing to save, not to party and be comfortable. He had a mission in this world, and he was going to do it. He wasn't going to get distracted by, by these things. He had a mission. I, I could look at our own lives and say, man, aren't we supposed to be on a mission? <laughs> anyway, um, next reason I think he did that is I think he wanted to show us what truly matters. Guys, I can live the most joy-filled life ever and live in poverty. You don't need it. You don't need it. You need God, relationship with God. That's what Jesus had, and he had the greatest joy of any human who has ever lived. And I think he did it to give us an example of how we should serve one another. Multiple times in in the Gospels, we see Jesus humble himself in service for other people, and that's exactly what we're supposed to do. Jesus didn't have to serve. He didn't have to wash the feet of his disciples. He chose to. He chose humility. He didn't have to be born into a poor family. He didn't have to be born in a feeding trough for animals. He chose humility. You know, I think it's interesting as I look at my own life and and, uh, just even other people, sometimes we get it in our minds, no, 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 I'm above that, right? People have asked me to do things, and I've gotten angry with them. I'm like, what do you think, you know, uh, who do you think I am that you'd ask me to do such a lowly task, you know? And, and hopefully uh, God's working on me and, and working on you, but God asks us to serve in humble ways. But he doesn't just tell us to do something. He did it himself. He was God Most High who took on the most humble position to suffer and to serve and save us. That's an example that we should follow. So let me think about this for a second. Maybe this is something that needs to happen in your, your, your marriage relationship if you're married. Maybe you're a husband or you're a wife and you think, you know, I really don't feel like serving my wife this way because, you know, she, she doesn't do these things right. You know, I'm, I, I don't, she doesn't deserve it and I, I deserve better. She should be serving me. You know, no, that's not the way Jesus did it. <laughs> that's not the way Jesus did it. He lowered himself to serve. Maybe it's a task here at church. You know, maybe there's a task. I, I shouldn't be teaching children. I should be teaching grown people. You know, I should be teaching at a college, not, not little children in the nursery. <laughs> Come on. Jesus came to us <laughs> who were more than childlike, worse than childlike, and served us. 
Maybe it's a neighbor or a coworker who God wants you to serve, to humble yourself and serve. They never rake their own leaves. What, what business do I got helping them out, you know, um, helping them rake their yard or whatever God asks you to do. We can look at Jesus, <clears throat> take a page out of his book, and humble ourselves. So that's what we've seen so far. Is God was preparing intimately, relationally, these, these people. You have Zechariah. God was preparing him to lead, to lead a nation, but to lead a son who is really going to lead a nation and lead a people to God. Then you have Mary and Joseph. Mary believes God, but she kind of lacks this confidence. How, how am I to do this since I'm a virgin? And God shows her, gives her that confidence so she can serve. I'm going to do it for you. All you got to do is be a, a willing vessel, a trusting vessel. Have this confidence. Joseph, he's afraid. I don't know what people are going to think. I don't know if I trust her. I don't, I don't know all these things. God gives him this confidence. Have no fear. Have this courage that you need. And they were both ready to serve. And then we see Jesus preparing himself to save and we know if you've read the end of the story, Jesus doesn't end his uh, earthly residence on a throne either. A lot of people wanted him to. They wanted him to go in, to start and, and turn against Rome and, and, you know, be put up on a throne. And he says, no, you guys, you don't understand. I came here, I, I prepared my way, not so that I could be exalted, but so that I could be brought to the lowest of lows for your sake. You don't understand. You need this salvation from me. And that's what God was preparing you look at the big picture there, guys. God prepares Zechariah to bring John the Baptist into this world. God prepares Mary and Joseph to bring uh, Jesus into this world. And he is our greatest hope. That's, that's a big picture. They probably didn't realize what's going on uh, in, in the greatest detail. But God was doing it. God was doing all these things. He was preparing. And this is the gift of preparation. So I want to say, in, in application, maybe you're like one of these people in this first Christmas story. Maybe you're like Zechariah. You have faith, but you're withholding in some area. I'm not giving you this sin. I'm not walking in obedience here, because I, I don't really trust you. I don't know if you're good. But again, God is speaking to you here, saying, you can trust me in every area. You can trust me in every area. Even in your unfaithfulness, I will still be faithful. Maybe you're like Mary. You have great faith, but you're more timid, you know? You think, oh, I could never do that. I could, I could never lead a small group. I could never minister to this girl that I see. I could, I could never minister to this guy. I could never help with the prison ministry. I could never do these things. But God's showing you, hey, have confidence. It's not going to be you that does it. It's going to be me doing it through you. Maybe you're like Joseph. You're afraid of the consequences of what will happen if you follow God. God's saying to you today, do not fear. Do not fear. Take, take courage. And maybe some of us need to learn from Jesus how to serve. How to serve our, our, our spouses, how to serve our families, our children, how to serve our neighbors, how to love people. And you think about that Jesus did all of that to save people. And we so often, like Joseph, have fear. If I open my mouth and tell them about Jesus— they're going to look at me badly. Things won't go well for me. They'll think badly. They'll make fun of me. Sometimes, like Mary, we think, oh, even if I do open my mouth and share this salvation from Christ, they won't believe me anyways. I can't change a heart. And Maybe like Zechariah, we say, look, I, I do a lot of things. I I'm faithful in many places. I go to church. I tithe. I read my Bible. I pray. But I'm not about to share the gospel. Like, that's one area that I, I'm not going to walk in obedience. I'm not going to share, pass on that Christmas gift. But in all these things, look at the ways that God prepared these people. Jesus takes on humility. Joseph gets this courage. Mary gets uh, confidence. And Zechariah gets this faith. I trust you. You're good. Whatever you're leading me to do, I will do it. And I want to say, you may not have even trusted in this Jesus yet. But I hope that today was part of him preparing your heart to receive him. In the same way, John the Baptist ends up with his ministry, making the roads flat, taking, making it not windier anymore. God's, God's making a clear path into your heart to receive Jesus. And you can do that today. If, he, if he's knocking, answer that door. If he's been preparing your heart, say, yes, I'm ready. You've prepared it. And then for the rest of us, what's God been preparing you for? 
What's God been laying on your heart that you should be doing? What is the good work that he's prepared beforehand that you should walk in it? You can think about that today. Look at the joy of even Zechariah, the one who took him longer. He had to catch up. Look at the joy he had serving God. Look at Mary. Look at Joseph, the joy they had raising. And even looking at Jesus, right, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Even Jesus was coming in this humility for the joy set before him. You, can, you have that same promise, that you will have this joy in serving God as you glorify him. We'll be taking communion here in a moment. And I, I, I just encourage you, if there's some area that you've been withholding, that you, you give it to God now. If there's something he's been asking you to do, that you say yes, and you say, when I leave here today, I, I will <laughs> take one step towards that. We can all walk in this obedience, because God's been preparing you. We're not robots. He doesn't just push buttons. God prepares our hearts. Walk in obedience today. Let's pray. Father God,